Welcome to The Blind Side. News and information from a blindness perspective. Here's Jonathan Mosen. And this is episode 79. There are lots of little snippets in the podcast today, so it's timely for me to remind you once again that we have implemented the podcast chapters feature on The Blind Side. That allows you to skip forward really easily if you've got an app or a device that supports podcast chapters. We covered this a couple of episodes ago, but we certainly know that Downcast and Overcast and iOS have great support for podcast chapters, as does Podcast Addict in Android. So our advice is to use one of those apps to listen to your podcast, and then you can skip through different sections really easily. What's up ahead on the blind side today? Well, we're going to get straight into this event that has just happened at uh, Chicago, at a middle school in Chicago, that Apple has held. It is not held at Cupertino in their fancy schmancy new Apple Park campus, although I hear they've had a few issues with that campus where it's so beautiful and so elegant that the glass walls have caused people to sort of smash into them. Not a nice thing. And so they've had to damage the aesthetics, the beauty of this thing, by actually putting stickers on the walls so that people can see that they're there. Now, that's another example of where a good blind cane user would have an advantage over a sighted person, right? They'd find that wall and they wouldn't be running into it. Anyway, it's all under control. Anyway, they've gone to Chicago for this event, which has just taken place as we publish the podcast. We've got the scoop for you, as we always do with these Apple events, and that leads the podcast. I'll then talk about some of the takeaways for me from CSUN 2018, and in particular, Ira, which we've covered on this podcast, but which I actually used for the first time at CSUN, and I gotta say, it changed my life, and I have more to say about that a little bit later, and also a lot more to say about it in a blog post, which I'll publish in a week or so. Bonnie will also share her pretty epic experiences of Ira as a journalist, and we'll also take a look at some interesting stories making news in the blind community, including whether you've ever had any issues with your signature not being accepted because it's not consistent, We'll be looking at Apple's plans for emoji for disabled people and we'll be talking about a woman in the UK who had enough and went to court over being refused access to taxi services and won. That's all coming up on a packed edition of The Blind Side. First, I want to tell you some good news. We've been working a lot on the podcast in 2018 in terms of extending its reach and also building a sense of community around the podcast. You'll know that one way that we have done the latter is to create this Blindside community that you can join. You can send a blank message to the Blindside plus subscribe at groups.io to join that and have a discussion about things that are taking place on the Blindside, share some views, have a little bit of respectful debate. That's all good. The Blindside plus subscribe at groups.io. I'm also really keen to make it as easy as possible for you to be a part of the show and get your feedback to me. We've had our email address since the beginning of the podcast, and that's still available. So you can write down an email, which I will read with my very nice new Focus 40 Blue 5th generation. This is a gorgeous display. I mean, it seriously is. It's beautifully built. You can pair with up to five Bluetooth devices, and you've got USB as well on top of that. It's wonderful. I really do like this display, and the feel of it is great. So happy to read out your contributions to the podcast with it. I'll be glad to get your contribution just so I can use the Braille display. You know, I'm in that mode having just got it. 
So drop me a text-based email to theblindside@mosin.org if you have a smartphone app such as voice memos or something like that, or you know how to make an MP3 file on your PC. You're welcome to send an audio attachment with your views because it's really good to hear a diversity of voices on the podcast, especially listener voices. Now we have a new way for you to be in touch. And I'm hoping that this will be really popular and that it will increase substantially the amount of listener feedback that we can put on the air. Yes, it's the good old fashioned phone. We have a number in the United States now that you can call to give us listener feedback. So add this to your contacts. And then when you feel the urge to respond to something, maybe something's got you galvanized in some way, be it positive or negative, give this number a call. It is in the United States. It is 719-270-5114. That number again is 719-270-5114. Let's give it some exercise and have lots of listener contributions to play next week. I'd love that. 719-270-5114. At the time that I'm recording this part of the podcast, the Apple's Let's Go on a Field Trip event has just concluded, and it took place at Lane Tech High School in Chicago, the largest public high school in Chicago, and one of the oldest, in fact. The event was not live-streamed this time. Apple is intending to upload a video, and I presume some audio, a little bit later. But for those of you who are really keen to find out what happened as soon as possible, I thought it would be useful to put together a comprehensive summary. I've consulted multiple news sources to tell you what happened at the event. The event began in traditional Apple fashion with a video. This one showed children playing in a park in slow-mo. Tim Cook, of course, as is the custom with these Apple presentations, began proceedings and he highlighted the march against gun violence to illustrate how today's youth are changing the world, saying we're deeply inspired by the courage of students using their voices to bring about change in America. He praised what he called Chicago's forward-thinking approach to technology in the classroom. He says more PhDs come from Lane High School than any other school in the country. And he said education is a big part of who Apple is as a company, having been involved in education since 1978, that's 40 years now. Apple is working with over 40 STEM, that's science, technology, engineering and maths organizations, to bring coding to kids of all backgrounds. He talked about Apple's Everyone Can Code initiative. This is actually the first of a couple of occasions in which Everyone Can Code came up in the presentation. It uses Swift Playground to teach coding concepts, and of course that has been made accessible of late thanks to some great work that has been done by, uh, in part, a blind developer at Apple. Good stuff. A number of Apple staff and teachers took the stage throughout the proceedings to discuss various initiatives. Apple talked about the many ways in which kids are using iPads in schools. And they made the point that learning today happens everywhere, even where there might not be a desk. Kids love iPads, according to Apple, because it's so pervasive. There are 200,000 apps made for education that students can take advantage of on the iPad. Apple says that no other product comes close to this level of depth or quality. A teacher took to the stage to talk about how her pupils use iPad. Her students use it to research and present work using video. She says students have virtually unlimited directions that they can take content. She says students are creators of content rather than consumers of information, which is a great line. 
And then, of course, we got to the business end of things. Apple does take a while to ramp up with these presentations. And, you know, I guess it's building the suspense, right? Because by the time they do roll out the products, you're kind of like, get get on with it. Well, they did get on with it. And there are some interesting initiatives to talk about. First of all, they announced the much-anticipated new hardware. This is the new iPad. And they say that it's their most affordable iPad that has now gained support for their most creative tool. So what we have is the new iPad coming in at the same price as the old bottom tier iPad, but supporting Apple Pencil. And we'll talk about the pricing of this in a minute. But Apple says that their most affordable iPad now has support for their most creative tool. Apple Pencil for Pro has become the tool of choice, they say, for illustrators. And they want to bring that amazing experience to more people. The new 9.7-inch iPad features a high-resolution touch system with low latency and the same support for Apple Pencil as iPad Pro has had for some time. The new device boasts 10 hours of battery life. It's got an 8-megapixel camera on the rear of the device, HD FaceTime camera at the front, and it has an A10X Fusion chip. It's got Touch ID. We are not seeing Face ID in iPad yet, but I suspect that that new iPad Pro type model will come later in the year where we will see Face ID introduced to the iPad range. It weighs a pound. Apple says that with the powerful 18x Fusion chip, the iPad is more powerful than most PC laptops and virtually every Chromebook. Interesting that they say virtually there. The A10 Fusion chip also enables augmented reality experiences using ARKit apps. The new iPad is priced at $329 for consumers, and there's a slight discount for education. It comes in at $299 for schools. So that's actually the same price point as the previous sort of bottom-end 9.7-inch iPad. The difference here, of course, is the updated specs and the Apple Pencil capability, which they're touting is a really big deal. It's available to order right now. There's no pre-orders or anything like that. You can go to your Apple Store app or go online if you want this, and you can order it today, and it will be arriving in stores and shipping it this week. So it should ship right out to you if you want this. If you want to buy the Apple Pencil, that costs $89 for students and $99 for everybody else. If you're an iWork user, so this is the suite of products from Apple that includes pages, keynotes, and numbers. It hasn't had some love for a wee while. It's got quite a bit of love right now. The new versions of pages, numbers, and keynote will support Apple Pencil. I'm not sure what that means for accessibility, actually, if uh, people are going to be able to do a lot more drawing in these things. But Apple normally is pretty good about accommodating um, accessibility so uh, we'll just have to wait and see how that pans out you can add drawings to reports in iWork as part of a lab report for example in pages there's a new smart annotation feature if you're an author this could be a really big deal for you digital books can now be created in iPad and also on the Mac using pages so there's no need for ibooks author on the mac those things are all being integrated to pages and the ibooks authoring is coming to ipad i don't know whether that means that you'll also be able to do all of this on the phone if you have a large screen phone or whether you do actually need ipad whether they are differentiating between what's in ipad and what you can do 
on your iPhone. There will be more news coming as I record this. We've just finished the event. So we'll have more on this in Mushroom FM's Daily Fibre Show, of course, where we will um, keep track of this throughout the week. Apple demonstrated several educational-related augmented reality apps at the event, such as a thing called Frogopedia. I kid you not. Frogopedia lets you virtually dissect a frog so you can see its insides without actually having to harm any frogs. That's nice. I'm sure the frogs will be delighted about that. Actually, that sort of thing used to make me a bit squeamish, so I'm delighted about it too. Apple made the comment that there is no doubt that augmented reality will dramatically change the way that this generation learns. And how many frogs survive, I suppose, too. The new iWork software, by the way, is available right now for download. And there's a GarageBand update as well for the musicians out there. There's a new sound pack added to GarageBand. And Apple's app called Clips has also been updated. The iWork suite will come by default installed with every new iPad. Apple also talked about in-school tools for iPads, such as the shared iPad program. Now, there's a new Apple School Manager program, and that makes it easier to set up Apple IDs for students and download apps. Apple is also increasing the free iCloud storage if a school is managing your Apple ID. And that goes up from the default of five gigabytes, which is the default for all consumers, right? You know that if you don't shell out for any iCloud storage, you're stuck at a measly five gigs. It's going to go up to 200 gigabytes, a very substantial increase for everybody who has an Apple ID managed by a school. Pretty impressive. Logitech got the nod about these new iPads, and so they have got some accessories that were shown off today. There is a new sort of rugged keyboard combo. So you can give this thing to your kid and make sure that they have a nice keyboard to type on, and it protects the iPad as well. That costs $99. And they also have a crayon stylus that costs $49 if you want to get that. The Classroom app is coming to the Mac. Now, this is going to make it easier for teachers to control kids' devices remotely and see what they're working on. Classroom for Mac is going to be available as a beta in June, so a wee while to wait for that. Maybe we will hear more about that at the Worldwide Developers Conference at the beginning of June. Apple's introducing a new app called Schoolwork. This is a cloud-based app that lets teachers send assignments and track student progress. Almost worth getting excited about hearing what your homework is. With classwork, you can make handouts that include PDFs and links similar to and as easy as sending an email. You can also link to relevant apps and you can create assignments within apps using schoolwork. Teachers can see a detailed view of all the work a student has completed. It's going to be a bit harder to say the dog ate my iPad, right? As an excuse for why you didn't get that homework done. Apple emphasizes that all this has strong privacy protections. Apple can't see student information. They emphasize that privacy is integral to everything that they do. Schoolwork, which will be available starting in June, is powered through a new API, which we have been expecting, and that API is called ClassKit. Apple's introducing Apple Teacher, which is an online learning program designed for teachers. The Apple Teacher program is free and self-paced, 
so all teachers can take advantage of it whenever it's convenient for them. It'll be available in June once again. Apple talked further about its Everyone Can Code initiative, saying that they are adding an AR kit module to its app development with Swift program. Apple says that teachers from over 2,000 schools are using Everyone Can Code. Apple's building a new curriculum with a focus on creative tools called Everyone Can Create. It is designed around the idea that tech can unleash creativity. It'll focus on music, video, photography and drawing, so there might be a lot of people interested in this. Kids can use all the interactive features to take their creations further, including the microphone, stereo speakers and Apple Pencil. Everyone Can Create is actually available as a preview today and there's more content set to come this summer. So that's a summary of what we've got hot off the press from the event. I'm sure there will be more trickling through in media releases, and as I say, Mushroom FM's daily fibre show at mushroomfm.com will cover this further. It is exciting that there is all this going on in a tool that is so accessible. One of my concerns over the years has been the Braille support, and although there have been some very rocky patches with iOS 11 Braille, there's absolutely no doubt that Apple has been listening and they really did try to improve some of the oddities, the anomalies in Braille input in iOS 11. They shouldn't have shipped in the state they were in, but it is coming right. And I think the configurability of the Braille support, all the ways that you can assign different functions to different keys on your Braille display, mean that Apple Braille is, well, certainly streets ahead of anything that you can get on Android and is coming right. Not perfect yet, but it's coming right. What do you think of the event? Share your views. The line, of course, is open. 719-270-5114. That's 719-270-5114. Or email theblindside at mosin.org. Our place, our issues. The Blind Side with Jonathan Mosin. I am back from the CSUN Technology and Persons with Disabilities Conference. It took place for the final time in San Diego this year. They're going back to the LA area, going to Anaheim next year. And uh, people tell me who know these things that the hotel that it's going to next year is going to be quite a lot simpler to navigate because it's got nice sort of Marriott type 90 degree angles and things, which will be will be very nice. It's also going to be good for me because it will be one less flight to take because I have to fly from Wellington, where I live, the capital of New Zealand, to Auckland and then Auckland to Los Angeles. That's about 12 and a bit hours going there and about 13 hours going back. So that's a fairly long flight. And then Los Angeles to San Diego that's only about an hour but of course you've got lots of stops there especially in LA because you've got to clear customs and immigration and change terminals and it's a massive structure there not particularly well implemented in my view so it's always a bit of a chore going through Los Angeles airport but nice to know I won't have one flight at the end there that I have to take if I return to CSUN in subsequent years. One of the things that I was obsessing about, probably way too obsessing about, which is pretty sad, really, hashtag first world problems, is when you leave New Zealand, you arrive before you leave in terms of the time when you go from New Zealand to the United States. And my kids used to love this. I've taken all my children overseas. The three older ones I took to the States with me when I was doing 
a lot of blindness conferences there. And we would do one of the Disney properties. So if I took one of them to ATIA, which is in Orlando, we would do Universal Studios and we'd do Disney World. If I went to LA where CSUN used to be, we'd go to Disneyland with the kids. And it was really cool fun. But what they loved about it, especially, I mean, hopefully they loved all the rides and the cool things, but they also thought it was pretty trippy. Yeah, that's pretty trippy, Dad. That you could arrive before you left because they were traveling back in time. So for this last flight I took to LA, for example, I left New Zealand at 7.30 in the evening on Tuesday and I arrived at 11.30 in the morning of Tuesday. So you get some time back. So that's all right. But the thing is, when you go back the other way, you entirely lose a day. So last Friday, the flight left at about 10 o'clock on Friday evening. And I arrived at just ahead of 7 o'clock on Sunday morning. No Saturday for me. Why am I telling you this? Because I was obsessing over what is going to become of my Apple Watch goals. I have traveled to the United States and back again since I've had an Apple Watch, but I wasn't so totally obsessed with it then. (laughs) I have been a bit sick in the last little while. I got shingles. If you listen to the Mosin Explosion, I've been talking about this there. Horrible thing. And if you've ever had it, then I sympathize. There is actually a vaccine you can get now for shingles, they tell me. I didn't even know about that. It's a nasty, nasty thing. And even then, I kept my Apple Watch goals going. I did have to lower them a little bit, the move goal anyway. You can't lower the other ones. But I lowered the move goal a little because I was not feeling well. But I managed. I kept them going. And I have a perfect year so far. We're getting towards the end of the first quarter of the year. And I thought, well, what a pain in the neck that nobody has thought of a really easy way to help you to keep your watch goals when you're traveling the international dateline, because, of course, it would mean that there would be no activity on Saturday or very little. If you moved around the plane a little bit, you might be able to get a little bit of move credit, but you wouldn't be able to get much. If you started jogging around the plane and doing jumping jacks and stuff like that in a way that really gets your heart rate going, they would put you away, I tell you. Some TSA agent or whatever they have on those planes would come along and handcuff you. Well, maybe not, but I'm not I'm not prepared to risk it. <laughs> so I did a bit of research in this. How do you keep your Apple Watch going? And uh, I got a little technique for you. Should you ever cross the dateline like me and miss a day, here's what you can do. What you do, first of all, is lower the move goal a lot. I mean, even if your move goal is quite high like mine is normally because I've become fairly active over the years, just lower it before you get on the plane. Eventually, the time will tick over, say in my example, from Friday to Saturday, the day that you're effectively missing out on. It's pretty hard to get your stand goal, the full 12 hours for Saturday. So you're going to have to write that one off, I think, in most cases. But you can get the move and exercise goals done. And the way I did it was, apart from lowering the move goal right down, I loaded the workout app and just started the other workout activity. This is where the Apple Watch has to make a guess, really, about the number of calories that you're burning. Now, I did try and do a little bit of exercise by getting up and stretching and moving around. But as I say, there's a limited amount of exercise that you can do. But by turning on the other activity and having Apple make an estimate or the Apple Watch make an estimate, I did get my 30 minutes of exercise credited, even though I didn't really exercise. I 
know that that's slightly cheating the system, but I feel okay about it because my Tuesday when I arrived was so long that I feel like I got sufficient exercise that I can legitimately credit myself in this slightly dodgy way with the Saturday exercise. See what I mean? I'm justifying it. I mean, there's no other way around it. So I got the exercise goal. The move goal was lowered right down and actually having the workout activity for the 30 minutes of other also boosted the calorie count way up, which I guess is because they're estimating the number of calories burned there. And so that's what did it. I got a perfect week for my move goal. I got a perfect week for my exercise goal. So I'm happy about that. I'm happy to write the stand goal off. It's the move goal that they measure. They measure your longest daily move streak and stuff like that. So that was the one that I was concerned about. And so my watch goals are still in good shape. The other one, having been inspired by my success with this, I said, woo, I've got it was the Calm app, which I've talked about here. They've got a couple of accessibility issues, but it's such a good app that I put up with them and I keep gently suggesting they might like to do a little bit more work on the app. But the Calm app has a feature called the Daily Calm, and I like it a lot. It's the way I start my day now with a little bit of meditation. And they also measure your streak, how long you've been meditating for without a break in your meditation. And I've been very good. I've got a really long meditation streak. But of course, I skipped Saturday. And the plane that I was on doesn't have Wi-Fi. Air New Zealand is a great airline, but man, have they been slow with the Wi-Fi. So I wasn't able to listen to the Daily Calm at a time that was Saturday. So then I turned off the automatic date and time set on my iPhone when I got back home, set my date and time to the previous day, which was the Saturday that I missed, did the meditation for Saturday, got the credit, turned automatic time back on, was back on Sunday, and did the meditation for Sunday. Voila, that's your actual French, by the way. Voila, I got my meditation streak continuing. So there you go. If you're doing a bit of travel and you're obsessive about these things, I'm sure I paid far more attention to this than I ought to have, but I'm kind of pleased about having conquered it because it's always good when you conquer a technology problem. I really did enjoy CSUN. It's been a little while since I've been there and I found it very replenishing because sometimes when you're out here and you're advocating for things and you feel like you are asking for the most basic of things, for example, the advocacy that I've been doing here in New Zealand on the census, and you think, how is it that in 2018 we're having to fight this sort of battle? And when you come to CSUN, everybody's talking in a positive way about accessibility. You're seeing the companies that care and they're engaging with people who are often end users and it's a great experience. So it was replenishing, it charges the batteries. On that note, it was great to see such a very large presence from companies like Google and Amazon. They were there in abundance as well. Microsoft were absolutely prolific and it's incredible to see what Microsoft is doing in so many areas with accessibility. And we've got another Microsoft-related interview coming up quite soon on the blind side involving a very interesting project that they've been working on. So there are all these companies there doing some really good dialogue and presentations and no Apple. And I'm really disappointed by that. Apple has, I think, from time to time been to CSUN. They went to the South by Southwest conference over in Texas 
and did some presentations there. Their director of accessibility presented there, but nobody at CSUN. And I think that is very unfortunate because while a lot of people love their Apple devices, and like many people, I've spent a lot on Apple technology. We've got the phones, we've got the iPad and the Apple TV, all those things. We were Mac users at one point, but we're not now. I think one of the things that has concerned a lot of people is the difficulty that we have in our community dialoguing, providing feedback to people who can truly make a difference and having Apple engage with us. And one of the reasons why on my blogs and podcasts, you don't hear much from me about any issues I'm having with Microsoft, for example, and I do have a couple of concerns, is that I can raise those privately and have a meaningful dialogue with somebody who can actually make a true difference, somebody on the product management side. So it's not just a case of writing to some generic accessibility address and getting a generic message back saying, thank you for your feedback, we will pass this on to the appropriate people. <laughs> and, and you sort of think, well, maybe it's gone into the void, it's, it's hard to know. And so when you have a constructive way of dialoguing in good faith with a company, you cut them a bit more slack because that dialogue continues in good faith. And Apple's absence from CSUN is a real concern. Now, some people, when I raised this on Twitter, said, well, Apple's doing such a good job, they don't need to be at CSUN. Well, I, I, would, I would suggest that you tell that to the many Braille users who, while benefiting from the extraordinarily cool user interface changes that were made in iOS 11 with all the configuration of Braille displays that is now possible, and that's wonderful, have also been thwarted in their work by the difficulties with Braille input that are still to some extent being sorted out, and there have been various other accessibility issues over time. So if the Director of Apple's Accessibility Initiatives was really busy and could only be out of the office for one conference, South by Southwest or CSUN, I honestly think it's a bit of a no-brainer where the Director of Accessibility should be. It was great, though, to catch up with a lot of people in the industry, a lot of friends, just to hang out. Very refreshing. So if I uh, didn't get to see you and you wanted to catch up, I'm sorry about that. You know, these conferences are like that, where you just get on the treadmill and you don't stop. But it was great to catch up with a number of people that I did and to meet some new and interesting people as well. This CSUN conference changed my life. And I want to talk about Ira. We have talked about Ira on the Blindside podcast before and interviewed a couple of people from Ira, including Mike Hingson, of course. So intellectually, I've known for a long time what Ira does, long before that interview. In fact, I've been watching the pilots and watching it roll out and thinking this is a cool concept. So I was prepared for what Ira would do. Now, let me backtrack and say that if you are not familiar with Ira, you should go back and check out that interview and their website at Ira, which is spelled A-I-R-A dot I-O. But in brief, Ira is a service that gives you access to very well-trained personnel. And they can give you visual information because you're either wearing glasses or you're using your smartphone's camera. The system works on a no-commitment monthly subscription plan where you pay for minutes that you want to use, minutes available to you to connect with an agent. There is no hardware other than at the moment your smartphone that you need to buy. The glasses, which are one way to engage with Ira, come with the subscription. 
So there's nothing to pay up front other than perhaps your first month of service. Had I needed to go to the Ira booth and pick up a set of glasses and somehow get the app on my phone and connect it up and things, I may not have had the time. But very sensibly, Ira made the service freely available through their Guest Explorer program to anybody who wanted to download the app and was at CSUN and other parts of San Diego where CSUN was being held. If you listen to this podcast regularly and you read my blog posts, you'll know that over the last sort of five years or so, I've come out, come out as somebody who has a hearing impairment and wears hearing aids. I never used to talk about that very much. And I'm sort of sad I didn't now, but it was something I needed to just get ready to talk about. But it meant that a lot of people thought I was being aloof and arrogant and standoffish when actually I was in a crowded environment where I couldn't hear them very well. So it's made it a lot better to actually plug up the courage and talk about it. And also it's allowed me to share some solutions that have worked for me. And hearing loss is such a diverse thing that all I can say is that the the things I'm doing are working for me. So when I go to these conferences, I love to go to these conferences. And when I go to these conferences, I hate to go to these conferences because they are really noisy environments. Traveling in unfamiliar places can be tough for me now because I don't have the echolocation that I used to have. And when you go to those hotel lobbies, for example, or exhibit halls, particularly the lobbies where the ceilings are high and sound is bouncing everywhere, it's really tough. And, you know, you get by. You you have the choice to either just keep going and do what you can and accept that it could be a little bit frustrating. Sometimes it could be even a bit humiliating, but it's better than sitting at home and wasting your life, right? So you get out there and you do what you have to do. But it can be a bit tough and stressful, and sometimes it can be a bit upsetting if you're feeling a little bit down in the dumps or jet-lagged or whatever. So I decided that I would download the Ira app and install it and set up a guest account and see what it would do for me if I wanted to get, for example, from my hotel room to the exhibit hall. And so I had my phone's camera, didn't have the glasses because I was a guest, and I established the call with the agent. I had my audio from my phone connected to my hearing aids via the cable. You'll recall I've been talking about the absence of the headphone jack and how, in my view, there are still some situations where, for latency purposes and other things, having a genuine cable going to your phone is going to give you the best results. It certainly gives me the best results anyway. And so I had this all set up, still able to hear environmental sounds, but also still able to clearly hear my phone. And I explained that I wanted to get to the exhibit hall, which was not open then. I had some stuff to do before the exhibit hall opened. I got directed to the elevator and shown which button to press. I got to registration and then I needed to call back to get to the actual exhibit hall. I called back, a new agent directed me down an escalator, and then I was directed through the lobby. I did the lobby a couple of times, and it's an amazing experience because apart from the fact that it's a really echoey, horrible environment there and sound is just going all over the place, I got an audio description of the lobby that told me things that I didn't know before. The way the lobby looked and Kind of interesting things. I mean, they weren't essential, I suppose, but I like to know them. We weaved around crowds. We went down some more stairs, went all the way to the exhibit hall door. And as I expected, it was closed. 
The agent then said to me, the exhibit hall is closed, but on your left, I can see a counter called Exhibit Hall Services, and there is a man behind that counter. I'll direct you to him. The agent duty did that. I talked to the man behind the counter and got in and did what I needed to do. That was something that I was able to complete with Ira without any other person assisting me. And I have to tell you, I have used a lot of technology over the years. And this is the first time that I just stood there in tears because it was such a life-changing experience for me as somebody who struggles in these environments. Because if you as a hearing impaired person ask for directions, in that really noisy, echoey lobby environment, it can actually be quite hard to hear the answer. So to have been able to complete that trip so quickly, I'd allowed myself a lot more time because I know that sometimes it's just going to take me a while. To get that done in such an elegant, prompt way was absolutely mind-blowing. And there are so many other examples that I can give you of how helpful Ira has been since I used it for the first time. And it is one of those services where you know intellectually what it does. But I think you have to experience it to truly understand the liberating, utterly game-changing nature of this service. And it's so well done. We are very fortunate that the CEO of IRA, Suman Kanyagandhi, did this right. He contacted blind people who gave him great advice. It is set up in a very empowering way, not in a way that patronizes people. The training that they give their agents is clearly first class. And I met with Suman and also met uh, other people too, catching up with Mike Kingston again, Greg Stilson, who, of course, is a well-respected product manager in our industry and has done a lot of great work and he's doing more great stuff at uh, Ira. A number of other people too who are doing a fantastic job with this initiative and I was very grateful that Suman agreed to let me take Ira home because at the moment sadly Ira is not supported outside of the United States. I think there might be pockets of Canada where they have done some work and I think they are looking at expanding the market but there are some challenges and so Suman agreed to let me subscribe. I should say I am subscribing. I'm not saying this is some sort of paid advertisement. I'm paying the same as everybody else uh, and taking it home and using it as a pilot, giving Iris some feedback on what it's like to use it from a country so far away. And I'll have a lot more of my Ira experiences to recount in a blog post that I'm working on now. We're going to put it through a few more of its paces they do have a shared minutes option as well. And Bonnie, my wife, who is a journalism student now, she's gone off to Polytech to be a journalist. And of course, these days, journalists have to do all sorts of things, right? They have to be multimedia ninjas. And when they go to an event, they're expected to take photos and maybe a bit of video and, and everything. And she is sharing my Ira Minutes and she's got a really amazing already Ira experience to recount. Many of you will know that on a Sunday afternoon, I host a live internet radio show that's been going for years and years and years called The Mosin Explosion. And Bonnie comes into the studio and has a chat with me there. Here's some of her impressions of Ira from The Mosin Explosion of last Sunday. You were sort of both challenged by and to some degree dreading the 
big Cuba Dupa festival. Yes, for those not familiar with Cuba Dupa, um, we, we did define it last yeah, week. Yeah, we didn't did we? define but it, but just in case we have week. new people that have not been listening, it's. Well, it's an, I thought everybody listened every week. <laughs> it's an annual street arts festival here in Wellington. It's in its fourth year. Um, originally started as the Cuba Street Carnival. So lots of music, dance, street performance, that sort of thing. And um, our class covered it as a newsroom project, journalism project, mostly photographs, but doing some stories. So we were assigned a part to follow the parade. I had to get sighted guide for that. There's no way you can follow a parade as a blind person and keep up. I'm sorry. That's just there's some things that you could follow all the noise, but from a journalistic standpoint and end up where you're supposed to be in a timely manner and get back to your newsroom ain't happening. So um, we did that and then we were sort of turned loose to do our own thing and they had said, you know, you can bring a support person to come with you. And I'm like, no. A, it wouldn't be my work. And B, people probably wouldn't talk to me. And I was able to engage with the crowd. Because if you're tapping around with your cane, people kind of have to interact with you. Or else get tripped or run into or you need to elicit assistance from them. So it worked really well. I didn't take Lizzie because it just wasn't very Lizzie friendly. It was so loud and just crazy and getting crazier all day. And plus you walk in the street. So Lizzie wouldn't have wanted to necessarily walk down the middle of the street. No traffic, of course. But um, it actually turned out really well. I got uh, four good stories. Yeah, you had an amazing um, Ivory experience. I couldn't have done it without them. I mean, they were just incredible being able to navigate in that crowd um, because I was just went out walking after I had talked to a couple of performers in our building because our, our building served as a, a venue for Cuba Dupa, but there wasn't a whole lot going on. And I decided, hey, I'll just go hit the streets and see what I can find. So I just started following the crowd and I was sort of standing on the sidewalk and I called the IRA agent and she said, well, there's a stream of people going this way if you want to walk with a stream of people. So I started going with the people and down the street and she was telling me what I was passing and I could hear some music. And I'm like, let's find the music. So I kept following the music down to this park and that's where the um, Bechicotta band was. And we were able to locate them. And, and I was asking her what it looked like. She says, it looks like a bunch of men with drums and white painters outfits. I'm like, well, that's interesting. So she told me that. And then I was doing some background research to find out how to spell bachicata. And um, learned that they were wearing white uniforms. And their performance was called White Noise. And so just that her telling me that, I remembered that she had said, you know, they were in white paint. So I was able to incorporate that in my story. And the one thing that we have been talking about since you started this journalism malarkey is that these days digital journalists just have to do everything. In fact, I was talking to a friend of mine at CSUN who said that she didn't become a journalist. She had a communications degree because when she graduated, and this was about 12, 13 years ago, I think, the smartphone technology hadn't wasn't really there, mm-hmm. and so it was you know much harder. There wasn't this this, this iPhone stuff that sort of tells you when you've got a, a face in the camera or anything mm-hmm. like that. And because already there was this trend emerging, 
for people to be basically everything, you know, mm-hmm. take take your own pictures, do the whole multimedia thing. So she pursued other endeavors. And this is a really big thing now. Everybody's consolidating. Everybody's expected to do everything. Um, what was interesting was the way that Ira was able to help you snap the most amazing pictures. Yeah, I, I, I need to call Heidi because I think one of my pictures is up on Newswire right now. It's one, And it was kind of funny because Māori, um, who are the indigenous peoples of New Zealand, have a, are a big part of our cultural, bicultural identity here. So they are often tasked tasked with opening ceremonies, doing official duties, that sort of thing. And um, there were Mari and Pacifica groups who were leading the groups in the parade yesterday. And so we found some of the performers and before the parade, and we're talking to them and taking their pictures. And the guy was doing what's called the pukana which is kind of a warrior stance where they stick their tongue out and snarl. And the Ira person said, oh, the guy is sticking his tongue out and snarling at the camera. So it was kind of cool because they're like, oh, he's doing the warrior stance. And she didn't know what it was. She just thought he was kind of, you know, clowning around and posing for mugging for the camera. But, um, yeah, it was... That was my photo. So they were able to help angle the photo. And my photography instructor really liked one of the pictures because I, quote, captured the motion of my subjects. But, I mean, that's amazing because they instruct you about how to point the camera, how to angle the camera. And then the the moment it's right, they snap the picture. They snap the picture. I mean, it's absolutely – it's extraordinary what this thing is doing. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just – I learned how short I was yesterday because I was you didn't having. Know. I could have told you that, but because everybody <laughs> in the crowd was much taller than me, so I'm holding my camera up in the air, trying to snap this brass band as we're running along beside them with the tuba blaring and the IRA agents going, boom, "I can't boom, hear boom, you." I'm like, boom, "Don't worry about it. Just take the pictures. You know, just shoot them. Shoot them." They probably wondered what the heck I was doing over there, but. <laughs> God. But um, lucky win in America. Yeah, <laughs> but um, but everyone's taller than me, and everyone's trying to take pictures. So I'm. She's like, stretch your arms up more. I'm like, I can't. <laughs> so it was kind of. And I almost yelled at my my coworker, just toss me up in the air, you know, yeah. like a true journalist. But you know, oh. but um, so yeah, and and then coming back, there was this humongous crowd of food trucks outside our building they parked all the food trucks on dixon street and i was actually trying to get away from the food trucks to to get into the festival because it was this huge crowd around them but they were a good landmark because coming back i could hear them because they were the only vehicle noise you know running their engines and Mm. stuff so i'm like oh let's follow the food trucks and they're like which food truck do you want to go to i'm like i don't know and so I found, well, I went to one food truck and decided I didn't want that one. Then I went to another food truck and decided I didn't want that one. And then I walked over to this other food truck and they read the menu to me. So that yeah. was really cool. I mean, isn't it incredible? You know, just just having that sort of vision so accessible in your ears, mm-hmm. um, it's, it's amazing. And you also, having been a very regular visitor to the mall for four and a half years – were getting more information that you you weren't aware of before because of Ira. Yeah. Now, when we were talking about this extensively on the Mosin Explosion last Sunday, a couple of questions came up repeatedly, so I'll address those now. 
The first is, why would you pay for Ira when you could use a service like Be My Eyes? There was a lot of skepticism about Be My Eyes when Hans Weinberg announced it, and I was one of the people who actually supported the idea very early on on some of the blindness iOS email lists where Hans was getting quite a lot of negative feedback. And I think Be My Eyes is a fantastic service. I meet some sighted people who have Be My Eyes and they've volunteered. I think the difference is I would use Be My Eyes for a range of tasks, but it is a little bit of a lottery in terms of the quality of who you get when you make a call to Be My Eyes. And that's not to criticize the service in any way. It's just the reality of the nature of a service that's highly dependent on volunteers who are picking up the call from a mobile device. One analogy that I would draw is walking up to a complete stranger in the street when you might be a little bit lost and asking for directions. You know what this is like, right? Sometimes you'll find somebody who's brilliant with the directions and they know where they are. Other times you'll find somebody who is not familiar with the location and just can't help other times you find somebody who has lived there all their lives, but they just, they're just not very perceptive and they can't direct you or they don't know their left from their right. So it is a lottery again. And Be My Eyes is like asking a stranger to help you. I've had some very good luck with Be My Eyes. And I've also had situations where someone has picked up when they probably really shouldn't have picked up because they were otherwise occupied and... I couldn't really get any quality information from them. I've had people who don't communicate particularly well. And so sometimes you get really good experiences. Sometimes the experiences are not so good. And you can drop the call and call back and hopefully get someone different. The difference here is that with Ira, you are dealing with people who are sitting at a dashboard. They can see exactly where you are on Google Maps. They're seeing your location. They can do all sorts of tasks for you. Another thing I recently did with Ira was that I had a series of expenses I needed to submit for reimbursement. And I had a huge pile of receipts and pieces of paper. I called an Ira agent and I said to them, I'd like you to help me get the best possible image of this with the camera, put it all together in one document Uh, put the images in there and, and then just email it to me. And they were able to do that. So it is a different kind of level. It's a different kind of quality. It's a different kind of access. That task, by the way, because I typically use the camera for this, is something that I might have asked one of my sighted kids to help me with, just to make sure that the image really is absolutely clear, that the full text is in the view, all those good things. It's something I could do with assistive technology, but I'd like to get visual verification that the image really is good before I send it off. And this is another thing about Ira. It makes me feel better because I can get this sort of assistance without relying on family or sighted friends. And that is actually quite empowering. I'm starting to realize that I don't have to think twice about using the service other than making sure that my minutes are under control, of course. But other than that, I don't have to think twice about asking a sighted person at the other end of Ira to help with something because that's what they're there for. They actually want me to ask them to help because that's how they make their money. And that is a really empowering and new way of thinking. Me asking for a little bit of sighted assistance is not an imposition. It's actually a validation of Ira's existence. The other 
criticism or concern that people have expressed is the cost of IRA. So it starts off at $80 US for 100 minutes per month, and then you go up to $129 US for 200 minutes, and the scale keeps going up. Incidentally, that is a lot more here because of the exchange rate. So it's 179 New Zealand dollars at the current exchange rate for 200 minutes. That is a difficult sell, I think, when you have a community like ours where there are a lot of people who don't have work and who are really living hand to mouth. There are some people for whom you can make a series of choices about this, though. It might involve giving up a couple of Starbucks every day or something like that to help pay for the basic plan. Some people, though, are just not in a position to afford it at the moment. The cost of IRA, I think, reflects the reality of the economics of providing a quality product or service to the blind community. People may not like this. Some people think that all assistive technology companies who charge what a product costs to the community are ripping blind people off. But the reality is simply this. When you're marketing to a small community, the overheads are spread across a smaller number of people. When you consider the investment that's been made in the hardware software solution, not just the app that you see, but the software that makes IRA as good as it is internally for the IRA people who run the service, the amount of money that has been sunk into this project must be considerable. So it is my hope that an increasing number of rehabilitation agencies, not just in the United States, but when IRA spreads its wings around the world, realize that actually investing in IRA might be an investment that saves money in the long term. And I say that because many agencies will invest in people who turn up at a certain time to do a certain thing. It could be home help. It could be providing a reader who comes along and deals with a significant amount of printed matter at a particular time. But the thing about IRA is it's available whenever you want it. And that can make a real difference in terms of being productive and efficient. I personally think that an investment in a product like IRA and for that matter, a screen reader that allows blind people to be as productive as they truly can be, is a social investment that could well pay dividends in terms of maximizing human capital. So I do think governments have a role to play in funding services like IRA to the consumer to level the playing field. The other thing that I'm excited about is that IRA is really sensibly thinking through how to maximize its reach. And one of the things that they will be doing later in the year, and I hope we will be able to talk with someone at IRA about this soon, is that they are coming out with a new device. They've taken a Samsung device with a physical home button. They've put their own firmware on this device. And there's a discrete cable from that device to new, very fashionable looking glasses. This means that there's one device. It's completely not dependent on a smartphone, although you can continue to drive IRA from your smartphone if you want to. You can wear these fashionable looking glasses and there's only one device to charge. Now, the really significant thing about that, everything gets bigger and better and more powerful and all those good things over time. But this actually extends IRA to a whole new market. And that is the mass of seniors who don't have smartphones. I'm thrilled to see that IRA is thinking about this. Obviously, it's in their commercial interests to think about it, but too often, People like me who host podcasts like this, and frankly, people like you who listen, often don't consider the fact that the majority of blind people are over the age of 65. They go blind later in life, and for them, it's a real struggle. 
because they feel a sense of deprivation. Suddenly they've got to the point where they can't pick up their newspaper and just read it in the morning. And for them, investing in a touchscreen-based device, learning new paradigms, ways of doing things, it's a huge struggle. If they can pick up a simple device with these glasses attached, fire it up with a simple press of a key, call an agent, and get help with all sorts of tasks, then that makes the viability of Ira much more likely. So it's very good stuff. I'm excited about this, as you can hear. It's just one of those things you'll never forget when you tried it for the first time. At least I won't. At 179 New Zealand dollars a month, it's a significant investment for us. So if you're thinking of trying Ira, and as I say, this has been a completely unsolicited segment on this podcast, Ira does have a referral program. And if you're looking at trying it, if you're in the United States, one way you can support the Blindside podcast, which we don't charge for, is maybe you might consider using my referral link. When you do that, you get a month of IRA service for free, and so do Bonnie and I, and we would certainly appreciate that. So I'm going to include my IRA referral link in the show notes. If you would like to use it, you can also email theblindside at mosin.org and I will get you the link. I would really appreciate that if you haven't signed up to IRA yet and you'd like to give it a try. Now, we are new to the IRA party, but it's been around for some time and there'll be a lot of people with experiences of IRA. I would like to hear how you've found it if you've used it. There are some people who just swear by it, who say like me, it's a game changer. It's a life changer. Other people have canceled the service. If you've used it, have you got on with it? Drop me an email to theblindside at mosin.org or you can give me a call at 719-270-5114. That's 719-270-5114. And now, stories making news in the blind community on The Blind Side. When we post the Blindside podcast to social media, wouldn't it be nice if we could include a white cane emoji or a guide dog emoji? Well, currently we can't, but Apple hopes that in the future we will be able to. Apple has proposed a new set of emojis representing those with vision, hearing and motor disabilities. Included are emojis for guide and service dogs, people with canes, individuals signing the word deaf, an ear with a hearing aid, people in wheelchairs and prosthetic limbs. This is not meant to be a comprehensive list of all possible depictions of disabilities, but they provide an initial starting point for greater representation of diversity within the emoji universe, Apple said in its Unicode Consortium proposal. Apple said that it worked with the ACB, the American Council of the Blind, the Cerebral Palsy Foundation, and the National Association of the Deaf to develop the 13 proposed editions. Currently, emoji provide a wide range of options but may not represent the experiences of those with disability, it continued in its proposal. Diversifying the options available helps fill a significant gap and provides a more inclusive experience for all. If the proposal is successful, we should start to see these emojis roll out probably sometime next year. An interesting article I came across in Slate, which is a good magazine. They have a lot of good content on Slate. And I wanted to draw this to your attention and get your opinions on this. Perhaps you've had similar experiences. And the scary thing is you may have had a similar experience and you don't know that you've had it. The article talks about a 95-year-old woman in New Hampshire. She's legally blind and she's voted all her adult life. 
she was keen to vote and she got the help of her husband to guide to where she needed to sign her ballot and she signed it. But then the ballot was rejected by officials and she was never told that her ballot didn't count. A local official simply rejected the ballot and there was no option for her to either be notified of it or for her to appeal. And the reason why it was rejected was because she had to complete an absentee ballot application to sign an affidavit that basically said, I'm legally blind and it's difficult for me to vote in the usual way. The local official compared the signature on that affidavit with the signature that turned up on the ballot, decided that the two signatures didn't match and simply tossed the ballot out. And there are hundreds of thousands of people in New Hampshire who have experienced the same thing and didn't actually know that their vote didn't count. Now, the American Council for Civil Liberties, the ACLU, is involved in this. It's going to court and we'll keep you up to date with how this goes on the blind side. Have you ever had a problem like this that you're aware of where your signature has been rejected because it's difficult as a blind person sometimes to make one signature consistent with the next one? Have you found any tips and tricks to assist with getting your signature consistent? Do you always carry a signature guide with you to try and ensure that your signature is consistent? Would love to get your views. And here's a new story I came across that gladdens the heart. It's so frustrating, isn't it, when you're just enjoying a night out or just trying to get home or to a business appointment where time is of the essence and you're rejected from getting in a public transport vehicle because somebody doesn't want to transport you with your dog. And sometimes it's really difficult to get some action. Well, here's an example from Manchester in the United Kingdom where something did happen. A taxi driver who refused to pick up a blind person with a guide dog has been sentenced. The court case also brought a warning from Trafford Council, who said they would actively prosecute drivers if they were found to have refused blind passengers and their guide dogs in their cabs. The guidance came after a private hire driver pleaded guilty at a Manchester and Salford Magistrates Court for refusing to take a woman home from work. The 57-year-old driver was fined £300 and ordered to pay another £300 in costs and a victim surcharge of £30. The driver claimed he was allergic to dogs. Yeah, yeah, we've heard that one before, right? Subsequent checks by the licensing team confirmed that he had never sought or been granted an allergy exemption by Manchester City Council, which issued his license. The guide dog handler was well aware of the law and she challenged him, but he drove off, leaving her stranded. She'd been refused around 15 times by taxi drivers in the past, but finally enough was enough and she decided to take action on this one. Well done to the handler for taking the action and it's nice to see something decisive being done in that part of the United Kingdom. If you have any feedback on any of these news items, let's hear it. The Blind Side at Mosin.org is the email address. You can send an email in text, you can send me an audio file, or you can give the listener line a call on 719-270-5114. That's 719-270-5114. And remember, if you'd like to discuss anything here on The Blind Side, maybe you want to ask questions about IRA or compare notes about IRA or talk about anything that we've talked about here on the podcast today, you can subscribe to our Blindside community and hang out with other listeners and chat about things. 
The way to subscribe to that is to send a blank email to theblindside plus subscribe at groups.io. That's theblindside plus subscribe at groups.io. Thanks for listening to The Blind Side, a production of Mosin Consulting. On the web at mosin.org.